today's show, we have Jeffrey Miller. He is with Fourth Harvest, and we are going to talk about food waste reduction efforts and technologies. If you're ready to learn how technology is driving business innovation in Cincinnati and beyond, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Join us for interviews and discussions with business leaders, innovators, and visionaries. With our host, Sam Schutte, CEO of Unstoppable Software. This is Unstoppable Talk. Okay, Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, maybe a good place to get started is to talk about how you got into this field and your background. Uh, well, thanks for having me come here. I appreciate the conversation. Um, uh, I got into this field probably 14, 15 years ago, and uh, as an early midlife crisis, I just decided to go to cooking school when hmm. I was living in Chicago. Um, prior to that, I was working in the marketing industry, or at the same time, I was working in the marketing industry, doing a lot of live branded events and, and working with a tremendous amount of packaged goods companies. So I was kind of exposed to live events and working with food and seeing um, a fair amount of waste going on in, in just the overall marketing of product through sampling programs. And um, and then going into cooking school, it was uh, more upfront with it and seeing it and getting closer to the niches and seeing what's going on. Hmm. Okay. And and how did, uh, what's sort of been the evolution of Fourth Harvest? And, and tell us a little bit about uh, the mission of that organization. Uh, the evolution of Fourth Harvest um, came through, uh, initially the, the first stage of it was through a, a grant awarded through People's Liberty here in Cincinnati, and, and it was originally called, and its uh, initial inception was called Epicure Cincinnati. Hmm. Uh, and that grant was focused on uh, trying to understand, uh, build a kind of a creative conversation around our consumer perception of uh, imperfect food, otherwise hmm. known as ugly food or wasted food. There's a lot of different terms that that, that are used in the field. Um, but why people, really what I tried to use was, was that grant to have conversations with people about why they throw away food. What is it about imperfect food that repels them or forces us to throw things into a trash can and, and, and add to the volume of waste that, we, that we're generating today? Um, from that initiative, I became really interested in uh, how to create or communicate the financial value mm -hmm. to companies on a commercial level, companies that are generating a lot of food excess, have food excess or excess food inventories, um, trying to communicate to them the benefit of uh, reducing their waste footprint through the financial values and, and various channels available to them to monetize that excess food inventory. Instead of throwing into a dumpster, how can, what, what things are, options are available to them? And that's what Fourth Harvest eventually became was that conduit to helping companies monetize that excess food inventory, whether through cash sales, selling of excess inventory, or generating incremental tax benefit. Okay. And, and with the Epicure Cincinnati project, how did you kind of execute on that? I mean, how did, um, how did you get that word out and spread that awareness? What were some of the techniques you used for that? Uh, Facebook was a big part of that. Hmm. Uh, social media, just being part of the, the grantee network at People's Liberty. Um, for those who aren't familiar with People's Liberty, that is a, a granting organization as part of the Hale Foundation here in Cincinnati. Uh, I was awarded a grant in late 2017 to create this program, Epicure mm -hmm. Cincinnati. And I so I, I spread the word of what I was doing 
not only through their support and their through their social media efforts, but I used Facebook as kind of a communication vehicle for some of the on, the research I was doing and trying to push people back to my website to answer questions about their perception of ugly food, mm-hmm. um, and as as well as um, an event called Rescue, which mm. was something I hosted down at the, the People's Liberty Space last year, which was focused on kind of a, a very um, creative communications around the food waste initiative and, and our perception of ugly food. And so that led into, uh, like you said, that led into Fourth Harvest, which was initially supported by Green Umbrella, I think you said. Uh, yes. And, and Green Umbrella is a, is a local group involved with, uh, how, can you talk a bit about them a bit? Uh, Green Umbrella is a uh, an alliance, a local alliance focused on green initiatives across the this greater Cincinnati area. So it mm-hmm. includes not only um, local food buying and food waste reduction issues, but our park systems, water, and other green related topics that yeah. affect the greater Cincinnati area. Yeah, recycling and you know, recycling. Uh, even like neighborhood gardens and things like that. I yes. think you know, kind of anything environmentally friendly. So for Fourth Harvest, you talked about. Uh, the sort of financial benefit clients and companies can gain by implementing some of these approaches. By implementing some of these approaches, uh, how does that work, and how can companies save money uh, doing this? Um, so, so the business model for Fourth Harvest, basic, very simply works in in the following manner: for an organization that has, I'm just going to call it excess food inventory. Let's call it just produce for now. Um, because that was the predominant, that's been the predominant focus of what I've been working on is organizations, wholesalers, resellers, um, anybody who has a large volume of, of produce that for some reason or another, it, it either wasn't sold or can't be sold. Uh, and they have to, they're going to dispose of it some way. Um, what Fourth Harvest brought to them was basically two options and how they could monetize that excess inventory. I can either take it and sell it through uh, online portals, specifically my partner, Local Food Connection here in Cincinnati, and and create cash value for them. Obviously, I'm taking product and selling at a discount. It's perfectly healthy items or safe items to 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 sell, but it's going out through that network mm-hmm. and turning it into cash. The second option was. For these companies to for me to move that product into the donation stream, get it to pantries and soup kitchens, and they generate incremental tax benefits from the donation of that product. And who are the buyers that would be buying uh, the discounted food in the, in that case? I mean, what kind of companies buy that? Could be anybody who's creating meals. Hmm. Um, could be a hotel. Could be a hmm. commercial kitchen. Could be restaurants. Could be the Cincinnati public school system. Um, but anybody who has a commercial kitchen of, of any type um, would be interested in buying product that is um, at a reduced price. Yeah, okay. And, and what are the – there's some very specific tax programs out there that people use for this, I think, as well, right? For the uh, purchase of product? Well, or like you the, talked about the PATH. Oh, the, the uh, Federal PATH Act. PATH Act and So stuff. for an organization that wants to – Donate product. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is purely from uh, for the, what the PATH Act allows is any for-profit organization that has excess food that wants to donate it or can donate it to a charitable, uh, legitimate 501c3 organization. That food can be donated. Not only can the company take the value of the product, but f- 
generally speaking, 50% of, of the gross profit of that. So it's actually an incremental mm-hmm. value opposed to just writing off the cost of goods sold. And, and that's what I shockingly have found that a, a lot of companies, a lot of that I've spoken with in the past had no idea yeah. that that incremental tax benefit was available if they just initiated that donation to a charitable organization. Let's take a quick break. This podcast is sponsored by Unstoppable Software, a Cincinnati-based technology consulting firm. At Unstoppable Software, we bolt on to your company's team and accelerate their ability to deliver custom software development projects. With our deep experience in manufacturing, engineering, and healthcare, we can tailor systems for process improvement, data analytics, machine learning, and document workflow, so they become a user-friendly, perfect fit for your employees and the way they want to work. To learn more about how we make our clients unstoppable, visit us at unstoppablesoftware.com or call us at 513-382-8499. And now... Back to Unstoppable Talk. And and so how is Fourth Harvest kind of executing on its business model here? What are some of the activities you're doing to raise awareness about this and, and uh, sort of bring people these solutions? Um, so it's come in two ways. Uh, initially when I received the, the grant money, uh, the grant money was, uh, distributed through this, through the green umbrella organization, through what was called save the food Cincinnati, um, grant program. And my fiduciary partner, local food connection, who is a, uh, which is a, uh, distributor of farm fresh product across, um, Southwestern Ohio and Northern Kentucky, uh, Louisville, basically let's say Louisville, Lexington to Dayton. Hmm. Um, that's my fiduciary partner. And, and part of the process was tapping into that transportation system and being able to, for buyers who were already coming into that network, I was able to offer to Local Food Connection a basically a, dis, a, a discounted channel. Mm-hmm. So organizations, their buyers, which are typically a lot of them are, are restaurants and food service organizations, would have the opportunity to buy wholesome product at a discounted price. Um, so that the the goal of the marketing side was to partner up with that organization and, and promote that on that level. From the, the from the donation side, that became a lot of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also as I was talking to these suppliers, people who were supplying the product, giving just through the opportunity of like, do you want to resell product and monetize it that way, or do you want to go out to the donation stream? Corporations, you know, their own. You know, charitable organizations, their own granting initiatives, their own community support initiatives. Um, I felt it was better to give them both opportunities because not everybody wants to resell wholesale product. Mm-hmm. Um, they may want to just give it out into the community. They just didn't have a mechanism in which to get it out into you know charitable organizations, to food pantries, to distribution hubs, because purely just the system didn't. They just didn't have those networks in place or how to navigate them. Hmm. So it does seem like transportation is one of the biggest parts of the problem in general, uh, just when it comes to wasted food? Uh, transportation is a huge challenge in the food redirection process uh, on, on all levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a, a, a big area of challenge. And how do we 
how what kind of solutions are out there. And in, in the last probably five to 10 years, we've seen a lot of technologies that have been trying to or attempted have been created to address exactly that as transportation solutions to um, to move more food to pantries or people in need and, and away from landfills. So talk about some of the solutions, maybe are you talking about some of the apps and platforms we've discussed or? Um, there are there are a number of different types of technologies are out there. It's a great question. Um, I, I just I'm looking at my phone because I've got a whole bunch of them that I've that I've saved on my phone mm-hmm. that I always kind of go back and reference every once in a while and, and check those sites. Um, technologies have been used are 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 have been created and continue to be created to. Um, address the food waste initiative in a lot of different ways. Some of them are are purely transportation mechanisms. Um, here in Cincinnati, there's uh, Food Rescue US is is a, a platform that Lasoup is using. Um, in Pittsburgh, Food Rescue or yes, uh, there's the Food Rescue app. 412 Food Rescue is a technology that's regionally being used in that area, and those are typically platforms, um, online marketplaces that are basically giving suppliers or creators of excess inventory, organizations that have excess inventory, making what they have available out into the um, community, partnering with then organizations who need it, and then using technology to pair up volunteers who will go transport that product from supplier to the organization that needs it, hmm. which is radically very different than what historically has been going on when you have organizations like Feeding America has predominantly moved product via trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has been, a, so those types of technologies have been pretty radical in changing the whole transportation marketplace and trying to really leverage, create large volunteer networks that using technology can move small amounts of product in a very short distance but notifying people in real time in their everyday course of transportation. I'm driving from here to work. I get a notification that there's a donation available at this grocery store and I can take it to this pantry. And it takes me five minutes out of my way to do this. And I feel good at the end of that experience that I just helped out. And I'll, you know, I'll do that two or three days a week mm-hmm. simply by the technology that's available on my phone. Yeah, a little bit of like an Uber for, for food donations type thing. Very um, much. Which is interesting because – you know, I mean, there's always been volunteer drivers for food delivery. I mean, Meals yes. on Wheels, you know, has been around a long time. But even that is a pretty set thing, and it's very hyper-organized, and there's a schedule, and there's a route, and, you know, there's set deliveries, whereas this is more ad hoc. Uh, and I know we've talked a little bit about, I mean, there's some challenges there with, you know, did someone actually arrive and pick something up? Because yes. if a caterer says they have, you know, I don't know, 20 trays of lasagna left over or something that they want to get somewhere or whatever the case might be, if someone doesn't show to pick it up, it kind of fail is a fail, right? Um, Absolutely. Um, just anybody who has worked at a pantry, volunteered at a pantry, managed a pantry or soup kitchen, these are organizations that are struggle financially, struggle mm-hmm. with just having people on site just to do daily operations of what they do for a food pantry. Uh, then adding in the complexity of getting product, getting volunteers to go to a location, a pickup spot, and go pick it up and bring it to them. It, organizing any kind of volunteer system is incredibly time-consuming and mm-hmm. difficult. Uh, what, what technology has done is is created, thrown out a, a much wider net um, and s- to more volunteers in, in a tighter area. 
as well as simplify the process if I can get onto an application and I can communicate with 100 people with a couple keystrokes and saying this is where there's food, this is where it needs to go in this time, or, or who can pick it up. That's a pretty big boon for pantries to be able to potentially manage themselves more efficiently mm-hmm. um, and being cognizant of just the limitations they have with their their own operation because they operate in very tight hours and, and scope. So those technologies, uh, I, I'm understanding as I've seen them as kind of grown up, grown very regionally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Various cities have, I, I haven't, uh, some of these technologies are like Food Rescue US is supposedly operating in 20 some cities um, but a lot of those organized cities have very small networks, mm-hmm. um, f- opposed to like 401 Food Rescue, which is the predominant application in Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. I think they have somewhere in the vicinity of five to 6,000 volunteers on that mm-hmm. system in that city alone. Wow. Um, so it, it's how those technologies will then proliferate across the country. You know, that's, that's, they all want to grow. It's just a question of what's their business model and how do they take that you know, from market to market. I mean, 5,000 people seems like a huge number in any city for any kind of volunteer base, really. And, and it's it probably ties back into, you know, there's the statistic that 75% of adults in America think that food waste is a big problem, something I believe is a number. So it kind of makes sense that it wouldn't be that, I mean, I'm sure it's not easy, but that you could get 5,000 volunteers to, you know, for a program like that. Um in a city of a million people, you know, I mean, it, the numbers sort of line up, right? Oh, I, I um, absolutely. And and yeah. again, the, the technology en- enables that. Yeah. Um, because if I, if I don't have to get into a laborious process of going to a pantry and registering and filling out mm-hmm. paperwork, I can do this all on a, in a digital format. And I can, in the convenience of my day-to-day life, oh, I got a notification on my phone that there's a pickup and that's only a mile or two away from me. And I can swing by, pick that up because I'm going to drop my kids off at soccer practice or something or running errands and I can do this and take it over there. Sure. I mean, anything that we can make more convenient, um, uh, clearly our society has has been headed in that direction. It's just a, a convenience for all of us to be able to volunteer on an easier basis. And that's just one of the technologies. There are, there are others out there on different, uh, different parts of the food chain or the food waste reduction chain that are yeah. equally having, you know, equally hopefully will have a, a, a strong impact on on the volume of waste that's making its way to landfills. Well, without a doubt, managing 5,000 volunteers, you know, if they had to do that with a staff, I mean, that would be at oh, least huge. a handful of full-time people, I'm sure, yeah. at least, you know. Easily. Um so yeah, it's really, you know, the same as a taxi company would require how many people to manage all these Uber drivers. I mean, it would be a lot of employees. Um, how do you think Cincinnati ranks, just in your opinion, when you look at, uh, you know, when you talk about, you talk about Pittsburgh and all these volunteers and sort of how uh, folks are trying to solve this sort of arena of problems of food waste and recovery and reuse and reduction. How do you think Cincinnati sort of ranks? I mean, we have these um, groups that are really pushing this. We have organizations like La Soup that you mentioned that is sort of working and, and got a lot of recognition uh, in that space. Uh, but how do you think Cincinnati ranks in terms of how we're doing on this problem? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, personally speaking, I think Cincinnati's doing a, a great job at what they're doing. There's a I've met many, 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 many people who are um, very impassioned by this issue 
um, are, are trying innovative approaches to solving the problem, um, where we rank as far as, you know, from an innovation scale and, and reducing the problem, I'm statistic. I don't, I don't have that statistic sure. to throw out and say, how do we compare an example to Cleveland or Columbus mm-hmm. or San Francisco? Um, I, I think Cincinnati has put a lot of it since I've been back in Cincinnati is, is, is putting a lot of energy into addressing this issue. A lot of conversation, not only in Hamilton County and the level of county, but the city and the surrounding area. I don't see that certainly getting any smaller. If anything, it's growing. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd say Cincinnati's doing a great job. We've got a long way to go, um, like most places, but I, I think the energy and the focus on it is is highly important. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mentioned uh, LaSoup earlier, and maybe I, we can talk about them since they do such great work. And they're actually, a, they were a recipient of the Jefferson Award from from uh, my local Cincinnati Rotary Club. Um, and they've, I think they've gone on and, and gained a lot of national attention from that even. So maybe we should talk about what they do uh, and kind of their mission. Yeah, I, you know, organizations, what I, there, there are a lot of great organizations, you know, we, we certainly can't discount one of the, the, if not the largest footprint here in Cincinnati is Free Store Food Bank. Sure. Um, which is the largest mover of, of, of food into the pantry system. I, I think they service four, 450 pantries in the, in the mm. greater Cincinnati, Hamilton County, or was it 16, 16 county area, 17 mm-hmm. county area? I think so. Um, there's there's a lot there's a lot of great organizations that are doing work. Um, Our daily bread down in um, uh, the Finley Market area, Kane um, up in, in the North Side area, all kind of attacking this issue from from different angles and doing mm-hmm. different things. Um, clearly, what what makes La Soup unique in its own right is the fact that it's a, a chef created organization and and Susie's background. Um, in the restaurant industry, uh, in creating, taking product that is visually imperfect or on, on the verge of not being usable, but creating delicious food, um, it, it certainly brings to awareness, hopefully, a consumer perception of what they're, we're doing at home and, and changing that mindset. Just yeah. because something is brown or bruised um, doesn't mean it can't be used or shouldn't be used uh, and can be reimagined in a, in a different way. And yeah, my hats off to the the efforts they've made in not only reducing them slowly reducing the amount of waste and, and redirecting food, but maybe more importantly, changing the perception that people have of that product and uh, eventually changing the way people shop and 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 eat, yeah, and cook and eat at home, which is would be enormous, absolutely, because that's where the largest amount of food waste actually comes from. Shockingly, to most people's lack of awareness, is most of it comes from almost fifty percent of it comes from homes. Yeah, and maybe let's get into some of the tech, uh, sort of technical details there a little bit. Uh, I think the statistic is forty percent of our food is wasted. I believe. Yes. Um, and so my question, I guess, is when you're looking at uh, reduction and recovery, which are kind of they're kind of two sides to a coin, right? Um, Reducing is just you end up wasting less, and then recovery is you know you're you're saving stuff that other, would otherwise be thrown away. But you know what are some of the cutoffs when it comes? I mean, are there legal rules around like when you have to throw bananas away, let's say, or when you have to you know when you can't reuse something, uh, and then um, you know 
and kind of on the reduction side, I guess, as well, you know, when can someone continue to use something instead of throwing it out? You know, what are, what are some of those cutoffs or when you look at different food? Actually, it's a great question. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know what, there's only one product that is actually, um, that the FDA monitors as saying that it, it, it has to be, there is a true expiration date on it that cannot mm-hmm. be used past an expiration date. Um, do you know what that product is? My guess would be either like meat or maybe baby formula. I don't know. It, you had the second one. It's baby food. Okay. Yeah. Because I know that's heavily, uh, like almost like pharmaceutical grade regulated. Um, baby food is the only product that the FDA monitors as expiration dates are, you know, by law have to have expiration dates on it. Everything mm-hmm. else is by the choice of the of manufacturers. Hmm. Um, so of course, uh, you know, the the confusion that we all experience going to the store, uh, fresh by date, best by date, fresh, you know, best sold by date, expiration date. Um, these were dates, expiration dates specifically were created by the packaged good industries, I think back in the, f- if I remember my history correctly, back in the 50s, um, because there was a, a, a backlash on behalf of the consumer when they realized that packaged foods, how long canned goods could stay on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, there was almost a fear factor involved of like, what's really going into these products. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and so expiration dates were put on there somewhat of probably to no small degree put on there as a, as a response to that fear of like, Oh my God, this product can last in a can for 20 years Hmm. or 25 years or even longer yeah so the confusion of those dates uh and those those labelings are constantly adding to the problem um packaged goods companies put them on there Uh, retailers you know put them on some of their own product Um, but if if you read and publish it most of those things are again they're on the they're on the product label based on the manufacturer's requirements um that doesn't mean that a product just because it's past an expiration date is going to harm you on any level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, and there's a certain amount of sort of worst caseness to it. I think a little bit like, um, you know, whatever the ex- the true expiration is, let's just have that and say like, maybe it could last 10 years, but let's say five to be safe, you know, or whatever I imagine, you know, any kind of like overkill. Right. Right. Um, I mean, ultimately what they, what you learn in, in, if you, Anybody who takes time to read or interested in the subject, I mean, what's referred to as the smell test. Hmm. It's as ridiculous as that sounds. If you have a piece of fruit or a protein or something and you're not sure and it's past an expiration date, just smell it. Hmm. If it doesn't smell right, then don't eat it. Sure. <laughs> and hopefully whatever you do is then you put it into some kind of composting mechanism mm-hmm. um, so it doesn't go into a trash can. And that's all appreciated if you don't throw it into a trash can and, and it, so it finds its way to a landfill. But it's simply put this this the smell pe- smell test. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who are completely freaked out about spoiled milk. Like, oh mm-hmm. my god, you drink spoiled milk and it'll kill you. I'm like, it doesn't kill you. Yeah. It may not taste good, but ultra ultra pasteurization is what basically kills all the bacteria in milk. So what you're drinking ultimately is very similar to buttermilk. Yeah, it doesn't taste great, but you can drink it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. My wife points out. Um, the organic milk from Costco, I think it is, that we buy lasts much longer than the regular Kroger milk. And I think it's because it's ultra-pasteurized or ultra-homogenized or something like that is her theory, right? Um, 
which I guess I can't speak on sense. behalf of either product. So yeah, yeah. so I, I'm not. I, I but it, it but it'll there's last some reason. But it'll last, you know, a week past expiration date on it. You know, it's it's like, well, this is still good. <laughs> and again, then like, what is a week past? It's like, okay, what am I doing it from? You know, from this point on. Yeah, but there but, are certain people. It's like yeah. you're gonna die. It's it's past the date. You can't oh, eat that. Dr- can't drink that, right? Uh, <laughs> wilty greens, brown strawberries. You know, fuzz on strawberries. I can't eat those. Those, those mm-hmm. will kill me. I'm like, no, it's not gonna kill you. Yeah, it's not gonna kill you at all. Yeah. Um, besides, there's probably just one of them in that package of strawberries that's that's fuzzy. So why don't sure. you just throw that out, or maybe the one or two around it, and then take the rest of them, even though they're brown, and put them in a freezer and save it and make a smoothie out of it. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so I guess um, if we go back to Fourth Harvest, uh, there's a, tell me a little bit about the first customer you've worked with there uh, and, and that project and what that looked like. Uh, I, wor- I was, my first customer, or let's say call it my, my beta test for Fourth Harvest was a regional wholesaler. Uh, and I was contacted by this organization because they they initially were interested in uh, looking for farmers. They had a lot of produce that, for various reasons, was um, being thrown away into a dumpster because of various reasons why the, either client customer wouldn't take it or it was an overstock, let's just call it excess inventory. And they were actually looking for farmers in the area who would take this product and use it as animal feed. Um, so I had a conversation with this um individual about that uh but also and and again at that same time it's like well if that doesn't work out for you uh fourth harvest can do the following and Mm -hmm. that's where the conversation kind of started this is what fourth harvest does i give you two ways to monetize this product uh, either through discount resale or through donation methods and for so they were very intrigued by that, and of course, because no one had been approaching them on how to monetize excess inventory. As far as they were concerned, it was just how do we get rid of this? That's the standard, you know, process for the for the wholesale industry. Like, let's just dump the stuff and get on with it. Mm-hmm. So we started the conversation, and and the the first initial step was explaining how the process works. Um, it was going into detail, like what is the federal path act, how much, you know, what is the, what does the IRS award you or how can you capture that benefit from a donation basis? Um, what is the good Samaritan act, which is the indemnification that the federal government provides to organizations who are donating food, protects them from, um, harm, you know, someone who is becomes sick or dies from a donated product. Hmm. Um, so what does the federal government provide? So otherwise they wouldn't do it at all. Probably if there was any risk, I imagine. That's a big issue. And there are a lot of, again, a lot of organizations out there who, even though they're protected by the Good Samaritan Act, still want zero Mm -hmm. liability Hmm. um, and and won't do anything because they don't even want bad PR, even the idea that a product of theirs somehow or another got somebody sick or something along those lines. So um, there's still the human element into that. So once we got past that, then the next step was to go back and look at... um, waste logs that they had kept for a previous year. Um, and they were great. They worked very close with me with, so we could research their, the, the appropriate numbers and financials so that I could come back to them and say, had we last year initiated any, uh, a donation program, a location-based donation program, a regional donation program, I could have generated for you based on these waste logs, 
um, let's say hypothetically, I don't even say hypothetically, literally about $80,000 in incremental tax benefit mm-hmm. based on the information they provided. Even and then my fee associated, the way I my business monetizes itself is that I take a 20% fee of the benefit, either the cash value I create or the 20, 20% of the tax benefit I create. Mm-hmm. Um, so e- even with my fee associated with the, the with the donation program, it was still going to generate um, added cash value, mm-hmm. financial benefit. And they love the process. Like who who would turn away from that? So the next step was then to utilizing and looking at their inventory management systems. How could we simplify the process of notification of what's the product? How, how am I notified that there's product up for consideration for donation or resale? Um, how are they tagging the system, the product, once it comes back to the dock or comes to the dock? So we worked through some steps of that. And, and basically what, what I netted out with was a email notification system. Anytime mm-hmm. some product was tagged for, let's just call it redirection, I would receive an email same time every day, every 24 hours of what the product was, all the information I needed to then tabulate the incremental tax benefit, but also I knew what the quantity was so that then I could then start the process on my end of moving that product into the donation stream hmm. and working with my local partners in getting that product on the space. So it, it was it was a it was a great pilot program. It was a really great pilot program and um hope that at some point or another we're gonna go back at that and and take it out to their other facilities. Yeah, I was gonna ask how you um sort of tracked that. So I'm assuming, is that some, something where, you know, there's a person inside the, uh, you know, the plant or whatever, and sort of like an inspector that, you know, they're looking at it and saying, this should go here, this has to go here. They're the one tagging that sort of from a visual inspection or something, or they look at an expiration date and that's, that's what they make their determination, I guess. It's a combination of things. A wholesalers work on many different levels with their customers. Um, every wholesaler has a different operating procedure and how they either take product back or if a product is expected at hmm. um, at a drop-off at, at a client location, whether they'll take it or not, uh, whether they still need it or not. This particular client I worked with had a, an, you know, had a just their policy was if the client doesn't want it for whatever reason, we're going to take it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so once it came back to their dock, it was a question of what is – the, the warehouse manager then would assess the situation, assess the product, um, look at expiration dates, look at the quality of the product, and then tag it at that point as to whether for consideration of uh, for redirection. That was the first step of it. Of course, once I saw and inspected the product, I, I always had the right, and that was part of my agreement with this particular, with this client, was that if I saw or looked at product and felt like I, I can't move this, this should not be moved out into the donation stream it's too far gone or by the time i can get it out to uh, an organist a pantry organization or a soup kitchen it's going to be too far gone then at that point we would look at disposal in a different way so do you, do you know how many how many pounds you sort of rescued uh via that uh via that project or over, over time or? during that period of time i i was working with this on this beta test i think we had redirected somewhere in the vicinity of six or seven thousand pounds hmm. of product cool into the donation stream and and when you are then um 
you said working with partners and reaching out to partners to then sort of transport it, I guess, from their site. Is that, you know, did you have sort of like a designated hauler? Is that a volunteer thing as well? Or how are you sort of moving that to the uh, free store and other places? That's a great, that's a great question. Because working with a, what I quickly learned in working with a wholesaler is that it wasn't, it wasn't like a case or two of something. Yep. It was anywhere from a half pallet to four pallets mm-hmm. of product. Um, the volumes were significantly large. So most, not the lion's share of, of pantries themselves, can't take anything. If they could take a case of something, that would be great because they have their own refrigeration limitations on site. Um, so I found that the best distribution channel for the volumes I was working with I worked very closely with Free Store Food Bank and Master Provisions down mm-hmm. in Northern Kentucky. Okay. So transporting it, uh, I worked out a system with if uh, Free Store, which has its own trucks, if they were able to, within a reasonable, I think we agreed on a 48-hour period, was able to swing a truck by um, my clients and pick up product, th- that product would go in that direction. Um Otherwise, my my client having their own trucks and own routing system, we would I would work closely with the with the warehouse manager to get product on a truck to get to get that product for drop off at free store or mass provisions depending on their own routing, you know their their current routing. And um, I don't think we ever ran into a situation in which there wasn't a truck somewhere along the lines available to move product in in. Uh, a, a fair and an agreeable amount of time mm-hmm. and keep the product, you know, in, at its freshest state that in the condition it was in. Okay. Yeah. And, and obviously there's, there's tax benefits, like you talked about to all this. Um, you know, what I have seen with a lot of these companies, they all have like zero landfill initiatives. So I imagine this sort of plays into that as well. That's sort of the other uh, big win for them is they can uh, as much as possible sort of, uh, or at least sort of, uh, whittle that down a little bit, how much landfill uh, they're using. Um, and tipping fees, I mean, the, the, if they have less product in their dumpsters, then that's a reduction in expense they have with tipping fees when sure. they have haulers come and take their garbage away. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's value along multiple lines of the process. Yeah, because it has to be transported. And it's somebody has transported, to pay to, And that costs money. That. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so what do you think... Um, you know, when you're when you're out looking for ideal customers for you to work with, or your your next customers you want you want to work with, um, obviously wholesalers is a big one. Um, you know, what are some other sort of customer prototypes that you're you're looking for? I mean, is it a lot of restaurants, or is it you know uh, grocery stores and places like that, or, or what are the what are the ones you really like to get into? I guess um, initially, the focus was on wholesalers retailers, large volume, you know, anybody who is, um, has a large volume of excess inventory period. I'll just mm-hmm. kind of leave it at that pers- from that perspective, not necessarily the corner store that had mm-hmm. a box or two. Um, it was really focused on organizations that had, you know, distributors, brokers moving whole produce, um, from point A from point A to point B. Uh, maybe a subset of that was farmers. Um, that's a whole other different type of um, complexity, but n- something that was on on my radar. Mm-hmm. But I was really the goal was to try to get to retailers and wholesalers who who had volume, um, because on the 
on the backside of it, the organizations I felt that were going to buy it if if it was a product that was that I could sell at a discount, um, that was going to be it was going to be restaurants or com- commercial kitchens of some sort. Um, and that could be not-for-profit organizations, could be, again, pantries, it could be um, kitchens in retirement, community retirement centers, or uh, any other kind of community center where people were being fed, but they still were buying food. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're going to buy food, why not keep their costs down to, to, to the lowest possible point? Yeah. And at the same time, we're keeping food out of a landfill. Um, more recently, my I have been looking at the benefits of of trying to address or create ways in which more I, what I call po, um, post production food, food that's coming out of caterers, hmm. um, uh, hotels, large catered events, whether they're caterers, you know, independent caterers, catering operations within a hotel or convention center, have product. Um, that has been produced, uh, not food that's been out on somebody's table or been mm-hmm. touched by anything, but something that, you know, there was a big banquet and there's five, six, 10, 20 pans of pasta or, or spaghetti sauce that was not served, that was held at food safe temperatures, but now is excess. How can that food be redirected safely to those who need it? Mm-hmm. Um, if, uh, Looking at industry reports, specifically ReFed, which is the federal organization that monitors um, food waste in the country, uh, the two areas, the largest areas of excess food inventory, um, statistically speaking, are product, whole produce that's left on farms across the country, uh, and and produced foods that are thrown away due to you know lack of storage or um, again, uh, served foods or potentially prepared foods that no longer can be or no longer needed or wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting too that um, I think that obviously one of the major sort of outlets for like most of the stuff as we talked about is landfills, um, which has gotten more expensive. Transportation's gotten more expensive. Sure. You know, and then of course another outlet is, is animal feed like I think you mentioned earlier, but there's a whole lot of people that want to feed animals their uh, sort of waste products, especially if you look at like the local brewing scene, uh, distilleries, you know, any kind of food manufacturing, candy manufacturing. Um, I think there's been a lot more competition for that as a an outlet. And a lot of times those are, you know, those aren't necessarily industrial operations. Um, it just sort of is a farmer that might come pick it up. So So that outlet is sort of becoming harder to use as well. So I think there's also sort of a, a little bit of scarcity that, that drives like, well, how else can we prevent from throwing this away? You know, there's the environmental thing, there's the dollar thing, but there's also just the logistical problem because, you know, if you have a bunch of stuff that needs to be used within 24 hours, uh, you know, maybe you could, maybe the farmer might pick it up for instance, right? But if he doesn't show, then you got a bunch of stuff rotting in your backyard. Or in your in your lot, which is a, another problem. You know, um, there's no yeah, there are no easy solutions to anything. Yeah, a, a, along the, when it comes to food waste reduction or eliminating, you yeah. know these these areas of uh, excess food that can go someplace other than a landfill. It's all of these factors 
um, are challenging and, and have their own hurdles and and need specific solutions. And then the, sometimes those solutions have to be different on a on a city by city, a region by region basis, based on a, a lot of different factors. Yeah. Well, I think, so, and I think there's a lot of sort of uh, two for one stone type situations. You know, like I, I was reading. Um, you know, you mentioned cafeterias and stuff. We've talked about that. And recently, uh, I think it was at our local high school in the Princeton district. They are, uh, you know, there's a lot of kids there that are on free and reduced lunches, for instance. And of course, at the end of every school lunch, they just throw out a tremendous amount of food that is wasn't eaten. I mean, just probably again forty percent of it that people that the kids don't buy or eat. And so they've started packaging that now, and then kids can take that home with them uh, in like a little sort of plastic uh, package to take home to have for dinner or whatever. Because there's really nothing wrong with it at all. It was just cooked that day. It just needs to be refrigerated as leftovers. Um, so that's, I think that just started happening. Um, but again, so now they're they're saving money, and re, or at least they're not wasting as much. Right. They don't have to pay somebody to haul it, and they're feeding these kids that may not otherwise have uh, uh, maybe a stable dinner when they get home. Um, so I think there's a lot of those sort of two for one situations, uh, yeah. when you look at this yeah. market. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I've been approached by a lot of people or been formed a lot of people. I don't have kids in the Cincinnati public school system. Um, but I actually met with a food service director for the Cincinnati public school system. And I, she's racking her brains at, at trying to find, her hands are tied in many ways based on food safety laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you get creative in how you're dealing with this. You got a lot of angry parents who like, I, you know, kids are throwing away a lot of food, but it's, you know, it's not the same public school system's fault. Um, it, it, it takes strategizing and thinking and patience. And um, over time, maybe laws will shift or change. Um, and then there's just the pure labor issue. Like, okay, if we're going to take all this food and we're going to repackage it in some way so that kids can take it home, that's labor expense. Yeah. And this time, you know, public school systems don't exactly have a lot of money lying around. Um, so it, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and some imagination to, uh, attempt to do new things. But like I said, there's a lot of people out there who are willing to take those steps. Well, I it's think hard, it, it, I, but I get where the frustration is. Yeah. Well, and I think it takes change of habits. You know, it, it's a big thing because, you know, this is, this is not a food issue exactly, but like my son the other day in his bedroom, he, we found he had this huge pile of sporks and napkins in individual packages. <laughs> there must've been six or seven. I'm like, what is this? You know, so every day at lunch, <laughs> they give me this. Right. And I say, I don't need it, but they won't take it back because they already gave it to me. It's already on my tray. I don't need it. I'm having like, you know, a sandwich and an apple. I don't need a spork napkin plastic wrapped combo. And of course we're like, well, what are you going to do with all these? You know, um, how many did he have? Oh, I mean, it was a mountain. It was literally, it was like, (laughs) did he pack the thing he's home in his backpack? I mean, you know, kind of shocking. He had, he's, I guess he has one for every day of the, it must've been some from last year even, because it's only been back a couple of weeks. But, um, so there's just that habit. All they have to do is say, do you need a utensil? Right, they don't have to give you one every time, and they would save not only a lot of money but a lot of trash, you know. Um, but it's just that's the habit they have. Right? So, of course, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, "What did you do with them?" Nothing yet. I don't. <laughs> I think they're still there. Yeah. Um, Good answer. Good I answer. guess we could open them all up and recycle the the uh, uh, napkin or whatever. But otherwise, you're kind of not much you can do, right? Um, 
And I mean, I'm not going to eat, eat off of sporks for three months in my house. <laughs> Maybe we will. I don't know. Maybe that's what we're going to do. Uh, we'll see. Um, you mentioned also, so, you know, change of habits. You also mentioned change of, of laws um, and regulation. What does food rest regulation look like uh, when we look at other cities, other countries, you know, Europe? I uh, understand there's some, uh, some laws in Austin, Texas that are sort of different than, than other places. Um, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm going to answer those questions and, and I'm really going to, what I'm going to do is recount what I've read opposed mm-hmm. to even, uh, push position myself as, um, uh, an expert in any of this area. There are a number issue, number of initiatives going on in, in, in Europe. Um, Italy is the, is the most recent country that I've read about, um, that is, that is basically building laws countrywide around the, the, the wasting of food, forcing mm-hmm. retailers are, are banning retailers from throwing away excess food. Uh, specific, I think, in the article I read, they had pictures of a grocery store. Um, so it, they're making it illegal and in, in, in making in, in allowing that to happen, which is, you know, of course, Italy is compared to the size and population of the United States is a very, you know, very different, um, very different country. Um, but it's been going on in other areas of, of Europe for the last couple of years. Uh, and they're great initiatives. Uh, different countries have different mechanisms of, of penalty and monitoring. I don't know. I don't think anything has bubbled to the surface yet of saying, well, this is the all fired best way that this can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that in things that I've read in the, in the, in the trades is that there are, city governments that are looking at and trying to find ways to bring those kind of laws into their own operation, into their own city governments to stem the volume of food that's making it to a landfill because of the number of people and redirecting that to people who are dealing with food insecurity. Um, Specifically in the United States, Austin, Texas has, has been a city recently that has passed laws to prevent stop the wasting of food coming out of restaurants hmm. um, uh, and, and making that illegal. I don't know specifically in the article how they're monitoring that and tracking that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a little bit of a, just a goodwill measure there that it's like, you know, if someone should to report you that you're throwing mm-hmm. out food, it, it gets a little tricky because, it, and while that's a great, I'm hats off to Austin for being progressive in that fashion, it's hard. What kind of waste are you talking about? You yeah. know, you can't redistribute food that was scraped off of someone's plates. Sure. Food laws won't allow for that. So then you're back to the issue of what you're dealing with is excess food that the restaurant is creating. Um, and then the end all be all of that is that if you're a restaurant and you're throwing away a lot of food and you have high food costs, you're not going to be in business for very long anyway. Sure. How does that affect caterers? How does that affect convention centers? How does that affect hotels? These are all great questions, um, but at least they've put, you know, drawn a line in the sand and and put laws in place to stop it. And what I think that also does is bring more awareness to the issue for, like you and I talked about being in the conversation, I, I think that statistic of our, you know, internet our food waste, 40% of our food supply going on landfill, that was not even a statistic you were familiar with. Mm-hmm. To me, I, I feel like I see or read it or hear it five, six times a week. Yeah. Um, so shame on me for taking that for granted and figuring people are, are bored with that. But I think I figure most people know that it's a, it's a big number. 
but they don't necessarily know what the number is or, or see it all the time, like you said. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, from a like regulatory standpoint. Um, you know, there are certain things that people used to th- throw away all the time and nobody ever cared uh, or nobody ever did anything about it. So you think about, like, you know, uh, the grease and stuff from restaurants, like, yeah, they would just put it down the drain, you know, but then, of course, it caused all kinds of problems and clogged drains. And now, of course, they all have these grease collection systems and, right. and somebody comes and, and actually, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a commodity traded product, even practically that, you know, it's illegal to tamper with or try to steal someone's grease for your biodiesel <laughs> or whatever, right? I mean, there's the, these... Uh, All those Volkswagen yeah, you know, owners are groaning. It'll say on the side, like, you know, it is against the law to, to open, to try to take from this, right? Because I guess people did just come and take it, you know, uh, for their biodiesel. And um, so that changed, you know, and and now they can't uh, put any of that because it was harmful. They can't put any of that down the drain. So I don't know that, I don't know how close other cities will catch up to Austin. Uh, Austin is weird, right? Uh, Yes, it is. But but I think there will be changes in the sort of rules that we'll see, uh, particularly... You know, obviously, even city of Cincinnati um, is pretty progressive city within city limits that will pass things that are um, more sort of at the forefront of, of uh, um, what other progressive cities are doing. So that that could be interesting. It'll be a while probably before we see that anything like that statewide or, or in any state probably. Um, so it's interesting. Um, so <clears throat> I understand you're uh, you're speaking on a panel at an upcoming event on September 11th at Memorial Hall. Do you want to talk about that event a little bit and how people can find out information about it? Uh, Cincinnati uh, Green Umbrella Organization is um, hosting the Food Waste Forum on September 11th at Memorial Hall. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a number of, I wish I could sit here and recount all the breakouts and various topics and all the various speakers that will be there, but you're going to get a wide range of people from farmers to food manufacturers to added value um, producers to f- uh, food policy, our food policy um, network here in Cincinnati. Uh, it, you're gonna you're gonna have a broad range of individuals there talking about food waste on on a large level. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens at farming? What happens at manufacturing? So if that topic interests you, if you're interested in how either you as an individual are adding to this problem or adding to the solution or you as a business or can reduce your own food waste footprint, uh, then I would encourage you to spend the meager $35 and come spend a day on September 11th at Memorial Hall and, and prepare to learn a lot. Yeah. And, and the topic you're speaking on specifically there, uh, the panel was about which topic? Uh, technology, mm-hmm. technology solutions being applied to food waste reduction. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an all day event. Starts at 8 a.m. that day, I believe. So kind of a whole solid day of of four or five different breakout sessions, something like that. Um, So, and I guess just to close uh, from the standpoint of Fourth Harvest, uh, if if there are folks out there and companies uh, listening to this, you know, what are some of the main uh, problems you can help them with that they should reach out to you about? Um, I, if if you're a what I can help them with it if they have any organization that has an excess of food inventory and let's mm-hmm. let's initially say if there's um your wholesaler your producer you have whole product packaged goods that you're somehow moving or, or manufacturing and you're wondering what you can do with this if you find yourself that your 
company is putting it into a dumpster, um, then let's have a conversation. Let me Mm -hmm. see if there's a way that I can help you through the different mechanisms that I've created, create value, not only create financial value for the redirection of that product, but not only help keep that out of landfill, help feed people who are facing food insecurity um, and, and reducing waste. If you're not sure about this topic at all, um, maybe you're on a different part of the food waste spectrum and just don't know where to go for information, um, but you're interested in this and this problem bothers you, then you can reach out to me as well and I'll be glad to redirect you to resources uh, and other organizations that may be more aligned with um, your mission or your purpose and, and what you do. Great. And what's your website and email? Uh, the company's website is fourthharvest.com, just how, it's, just how it sounds. Um, my email is jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, at fourthharvest.com. Great. Jeffrey, appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you know a tremendous about, amount about this topic, and uh, we think it's a very important thing to be working on. So it's, it's great to dig into this real deep with you and, and learn more about it pleasure being here. We wish you the best of luck on these efforts. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Talk. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, be sure to support the show by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and learn more about this show by heading over to unstoppablesoftware.com. Until next time, keep innovating.